It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and we are broadcasting live today in front of a live studio audience here at the University of Georgia. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Okay. It's wonderful. This is uh, Bulldog Nation in Athens, Georgia at the University of Georgia. It's the Kappa Alpha Province Council, Kappa Alpha Fraternity. Um, It's a national conference where Gentlemen get together to talk about leadership and becoming better people. And we have our first guest with us. What's your name? Drew Hayes. Hi, Drew. And you were telling me before, you have a radio show on campus somewhere? Uh, no, sir. I'm just studying in radio. You're me. studying radio. Okay, where? Mercer University. Mercer. And what do you want to do with uh, a radio degree? Uh, go into radio. Sport? Well, <laughs> you, I can tell you're going to be very successful. You're brief, you're concise, you made your point. What kind of radio? Talk radio, political radio, sports radio? Uh, uh, I'm staying away from political radio as much as possible. That's obnoxious. Yeah, it is. Okay, very good. And uh, so we're talking sports. Or you can just do the weather. Say it's sunny in 72. It's sunny in 72 in Athens, Georgia today. Actually, it's not. It's 40 degrees and it's really cold. There you go. See, this guy's uh, a shoe-in uh, to be a success on radio. So here's what we're going to do today. Drew. Here's your headline. You're going to be the news director on my radio show right now. And we're going to do a little uh, DUI, drunk driving, public service announcement um, with Drew live at the news desk. Dallas Cowboys' Jay Ratliff arrested for DUI after crashing his car drunk into an 18-wheeler. And uh, the reason we bring it up is because, uh, and let's just ask the group about the Dallas Cowboy DUI that happened a few months ago. Does that ring a bell? What happened with Josh Brent? Um, Drunk driving. His friend and teammate from both college and the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Brown, was in the passenger seat. Drunk driving crashed. Jerry Brown was killed. So now Josh Brent is being charged with uh, vehicular manslaughter. His life is going to be completely different from this point forward. He killed his best friend, so he's victimized another human being. And within that team... Another Dallas Cowboy gets a drunk driving, and it's not just a DUI, it's a crash. He crashed into an 18-wheeler. Is that just mind-blowing to you that somebody within that same organization would get another DUI? Let's have some some sports radio discourse on that with Drew. Well, I I see it as mind-blowing, but I also see it as incredibly stupid. Um, drinking, you know, is fine. People have been drinking for years. You get behind the wheel of a car, that's when you have a problem. And to see an example like that come up and you know what's going to happen, you know getting behind the wheel of a car as you're drinking is already bad. You've seen the example happen. And then you do it again, you're just asking for trouble. There's an old sports uh, coaching uh, tactic called if you're the last one through the drill, there's no way you should screw up the drill. So if there's 10 guys doing a drill and you're the 10th guy, you get to see nine other people do it. And there's no way the 10th guy should screw up that drill. Well, the same applies with drunk driving. Uh, if, you, if you're the 10th guy and you see nine guys in front of you get DUIs and what the consequences are and what they're putting families through, there's no reason why you should get a DUI as well. And it, that's the most astounding part of this Dallas Cowboys story. 
with Jay Ratliff and his DUI is that it comes just a few months after his teammate had a devastating DUI. So, Drew, you and I, we're standing right behind those guys, and, and now it's up to us to learn from their mistakes. And uh, as long as we don't drink and get behind the wheel of the car, we'll be okay. We won't victimize anybody. Um, and everybody in this room is now part of a, a drunk driving DUI public service announcement here with Kappa Alpha Order at the University of Georgia. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, at the University of Kentucky, UK, the Wildcats, and the Southeastern Conference. And our special guest from the athletic department is uh, Dustin Lewis. Hello, Dustin. How are you? Pretty good, sir. How are you? It's been a long time. You don't have to call me, sir. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on. You know, you're in the South, and it's the manners thing. I mean, ma'am, sir, right? Yeah, Yeah, I I guess it's, you know, good good upbringing. Very good upbringing. (laughs) And Dustin Lewis uh, is with the athletic department at the University of Kentucky. What is your title? Uh, I am the life skills coordinator. For UK athletics, and you work with the student athletes. Work with yeah, anymore. work with student athletes in all the sports. We do uh, career development. You know, helping them transition from college to the real world. Uh, you know, help them with their resume. Help you know, teach them a thing or two about networking. Uh, we also do uh, personal development, which is how I met you to begin with. We bring in speakers to talk to all our teams about real life issues. You know, alcohol awareness, financial literacy, social networking awareness is a new one that we've we've come up with in the last couple of years. Uh, and then all the community service. Anytime you know a hospital or a school wants to to bring an athlete out to their to their uh, to the, to talk to their kids or visit with, visit with their patients, uh, we do what we do a lot of that. And you work uh, specifically with the football team, the work UK with, Wildcats. Yes. And what were you were telling me off mic the uh, community service project with backpacks? How does that go? What is that? Yeah, it's a it's a weekly program that our athletic director uh, Mitch Barnhart came up with uh, probably three years ago. Um, what it what it entails is basically a, a different team each week will meet. Uh, uh, at our facility, we have a we have a room where we keep we store food that's dropped off uh, each month by a local food bank uh, called God's Pantry, and uh, each week the the student athletes um, will pack the food into Kroger bags. Uh, we do 150 each week, and then we take them to the same three schools, uh, which are located pretty close to campus. So it's not it's not too much of a hassle for them. And then once they're actually at the schools, they they the athletes will drop the food off. Um, and then they'll, they'll actually, uh, we, we set up events with the, with the students at the school. So sometimes they'll speak to a class, maybe play with them at recess, uh, just whatever the school's got going on that week. That is fantastic. We uh, appreciate your community service here in the Lexington area and for inspiring all of us to get involved with our communities. Uh, and real quick before I let you go, here at the University of Kentucky, I mean the, the basketball team, it's amazing what's happening here Go in Big Blue Nation. Um, that year, the national championship recently, your best memory from that season? Uh, well, for me personally, um, I actually got to go to the Final Four. It was in New Orleans, and I got to go with my with my parents. And, you know, we're from Kentucky, and my parents, you know, my dad raised me on Kentucky basketball. So uh, to be able to uh, experience the championship with them, you know, in the Superdome, watching it together, that was, uh, it was pretty special. But I guess... Uh, just the memory that you know just from working with the kids it was a, the, the the entire team i felt like was uh was really humble um 
I think you saw that on the court. No, no one really cared about who got got the the most shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Davis was our number one the number one overall draft pick in the NBA, and I think he took the fourth most shots on the team. Yeah. Uh, wow. So it's just I think that that's a testament to how unselfish that group was, and I think you, you saw it every time they stepped on the court. So. Uh, but it was it was it was a special group, special year for us. Well, I got to bring up the fact that you're about six <laughs> five, yeah. and having access to the UK Wildcat basketball team, do you get to play some pickup games with these guys? Uh, Did you dunk over John Wall? No, no. I, I, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't. I don't have the uh, leaping ability of a John Wall or Anthony Anthony Davis. But uh, uh, it is the one. It's the one place that I actually you know feel short. You know, at times is when when I'm around the basketball team. So, well, thank you so much for joining us, Dustin Lewis from the University of Kentucky. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. Adam Ritz is a media personality and keynote speaker, interviewing amazing people from coast to coast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Ritz, or listen to him now on the Adam Ritz Show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. We uh, have a great guest with us now. I'm at the national convention of the AFLV with Mike. Dilbeck. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And right off the bat, I have to comment on this radio voice that you have. Let me, uh, let me have some of that sugar. I love it. Thank you. I, I've never been told that. Maybe I should go into radio. I don't believe that no one's ever told you that you have a radio voice. They say I have a good speaking voice. I don't know if I've ever been told I have a good radio voice. Maybe wow. I missed my calling. 20 years in radio, I'm telling you, you have a great wow. radio voice. So this is the launch of the Mike Dilbeck Show. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is a, um, an expert in uh, sort of a new field, at least from my perspective, called bystander behavior. And if you haven't heard of this term yet, you soon will. It's kind of like if you if you there's a new car on the road. You've never heard of this car. You, you see the you see a new Fiat. Your friend buys a Fiat. Guess what? You're going to see a Fiat everywhere. From from this point forward, you're going to hear the term bystander behavior wherever you go. And Mike, tell us a little bit more uh, about this term, what it means, and what you do with this uh, industry of bystander behavior. Well, you're right, um, Adam. It is a new phenomenon that's being talked more and more about today. Because I think for many years, we always talk about the perpetrators to bad behaviors, those that cause the bad behaviors, whatever we see in life. You know, it could be a behavior. It could be somebody saying something inappropriate. But then we also also talk about the victim to what is happening. But we hardly ever talk about the third party, the person, the observer, the person who sees it, they hear about it. They have an opportunity in that moment to do something to intervene, but they don't. And that really is capturing bystander behavior. It's the behavior of the bystander, mm-hmm. of the observer. And we have all been bystanders in our life. How has it changed um, in the high-risk demographic of, a, of a, let's say, a 20-year-old from 18 to 24? That demographic, um, how has it changed with this term? And, and is it sinking in? Are the, is this high-risk demographic speaking up when they see things go awry. Uh, I know I've heard about this term a lot with, um, with dating violence. If you see a volatile relationship, you should darn well speak up before somebody gets hurt or worse. I think my personal feeling is that it has helped. Now, I don't know if we're just simply making a small dent because it's a huge problem. It's an international problem. I mean, it's a, it's a human being problem that we all deal with, right? So and it's a very hard thing to assess. It's hard to pinpoint when you do intervene, what had you intervene? What, you know, was it your values? Was it, you know, a speech you just heard or a radio program you just, you know, came across? What is it that contributed to that? So it's a hard thing to assess if we're making the difference we want to make. But I honestly feel it's one of those messages that we got to keep making no matter what, no matter what assessment we have. If we have hard data that says we are, you know, transforming something, 
I think there's different stories I hear and text messages I get and emails I get on our website that do signal that we're making a difference. But I don't know if those are just, you know, small dents. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's just being a new phenomenon. There hasn't been a lot of research and a lot of data collected and a lot of assessment being done. It is that new of a conversation. But um, I think the more we start talking about it, the more you're going to see about it, as you already alluded to. And, um, you know, as far as I can tell, I'm the only professional speaker on the market anywhere for colleges, even for corporate that's specifically speaking about this. Now, there there are other programs on sexual assault, on different behaviors that include this, and I love that they do. But when I talk to audiences, I look at it as the the overall umbrella phenomenon, and I let them see whatever it is in their life that they can attach it to and connect the dots. And like, oh, yeah, I saw that situation last week as I was walking down the street of my hometown. And somebody was, you know, whatever they were doing, and I wanted to intervene, but I didn't. They make that connection themselves. It has maybe nothing to do with sexual assault or drug and alcohol abuse but, or bullying, but it has something to do with their own personal life. Our guest is Mike Dilbeck. He's an expert with bystander behavior, and one of the uh, big, I guess, news stories here in the media recently are it seemed like for a while there, every week, somebody was getting pushed off a subway platform in front of a subway train in New York. Uh, from a bystander behavior perspective, you're there, you're down on the subway platform, you see this happening. What's the protocol? What, what are we supposed to do as bystanders? How do we behave in that situation? Well, it's hard to, you know, say, oh, this person should have done this, and they should have done this, and they should, because we're not there. We don't know all the different factors and variables coming from all different angles to contribute to that situation. So it's hard to give a formulaic, you know, this is what you should do. But there is something to be said about it, and that is, first of all, I want to say, I, I never tell people what to do because I don't have the right to tell them. I don't know everything that's going on in a particular situation. I don't know their life. But what I'm giving them are tools that they can use to apply to the situation if they're appropriate to use. And you know, I call it, the framework I use is called T3. And it's the set of tools, three tools. So everything starts with T. Three tools that they can use, and they all start with T. So it's target the problem, transcend any barriers that show up, that get in the way of you doing something, and then take action. So um, target problem. So whatever you say is a problem. Not what I say, what you say. Because of your own moral compass and your own gut instinct, you know, you're standing on that platform. It doesn't take much gut instinct to, to get, oh, my God, somebody just fell on the tracks. I should do something. Yeah. You don't have to be too awake to see that. There's other things that are more subtle in life that you have, have to have more of a moral compass to figure out. But, and then you've got to go, okay, what's going to stop me? Fear? Uh, the thought that somebody else will do something. It's not my job. Um, You know, I don't know if you can think this about the subway platform because clearly it's a problem, but many problems that we see, we think, well, nobody else is doing anything. It must not be a problem. It's a little hard to say that when somebody's sitting on a, you know, laying on a subway track. I mean, that's clearly a problem that you can't, you know, write off. But um, there's many things that happen in the world that you think, God, I must be the only one that thinks this is a problem. And then in that moment, if you honor that thought as the truth, then it will devolve into this is just the way it is. I don't need to do anything. And then that's what has us sell out and walk away. But then if we do get that, okay, this is a problem. i got to do something about it. Then there's immediately going to show up some obstacle, some barrier in the way that will have us not intervene. 
mm-hmm. and it's, you know, fear will get in the way. Uh, the thoughts of what's well, not my problem, somebody else will do something. Mm-hmm. And then that's when we walk away. Um, it's anything, any obstacle, any reason, any excuse, any, you know, justification, any rationalization that we honor in our head as, okay, I don't have to do anything here. But if we get past that, if we can, like I say, transcend it, go beyond it, acknowledge it, the trap of it will let go. And then we find ourselves in a space of, okay, what now? And that's when you can take an action, whatever is appropriate, whether it's simply having a conversation with somebody, whether it's intervening in a conversation where something inappropriate was said, whether it's taking some kind of action, jumping in and saving somebody, pulling somebody off of a subway track, um, uh, even putting your life in danger. I never say for people to do that because I don't want people to come back at me and go, Mike Delbeck told me to. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, be safe, be responsible, right? Don't be stupid. Uh, protect yourself and your well-being. But um, Inter- intervening takes risk. It takes courage, mm-hmm. whether it's just speaking up or whether it's taking a, some other bolder type of action. And determine what kind of action you're going to take. And, um, and there's, you know, a lot of times we think that in your face, high drama confrontation, you know, and in some situations is the only action to take. Well, that's not always the most appropriate. Sometimes it's not appropriate at all. You know, sometimes you got to let people sober up or, you know, get off their high or whatever's impacting them in the moment and talk to them later because talking to them in that moment is not going to help. Right. It's just not going to make – it may even exacerbate the situation. So there's just getting to know those different options and um, knowing what would work best in this situation. But that takes education. That takes getting to know this phenomenon and what are the different options and the different ways of intervening. But um, – you know, something I always say about taking action, you know, because a lot of the other myth that we believe uh, is true is, um, well, if I can't do anything big, it's not worth doing anything at all. Therefore, we don't do it. Yeah. Because we're coming from our own fears when we look at that. And I encourage people not to come from your fear. And I always tell people, if you ever wonder if an action is big enough, come from the perspective of the victim. When you, look, when you can look from their viewpoint and what they would want somebody to do in that moment... And a lot of times, I'll tell you, I use this scenario as the Penn State situation. You know, what would those 10-year-old boys in the shower want somebody to do? Yeah. And I think you'll find a different answer to that question if you come from their perspective. What do they need you to do versus coming from your own fear? Great point from Mike Dilbeck, host of the Mike Dilbeck Show, (laughs) uh, a bystander behavior uh, expert. Uh, Let me ask you... um, you know, you mentioned moral compass. And from a moral point of view, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, moral uh, decisions that you have to make in a split second when you see a, a situation. You have to decide whether you're going to intervene. What about from a, from a criminal uh, point of view? Yeah. Can a bystander be charged criminally in a court of law for not intervening to help somebody? They can be. So in two different sides of the coin on that, um, uh, there is, you're seeing more and more litigation show up where bystanders are being held accountable. You can, again, I've mentioned it, you can look at Penn State. Yeah. You know, you're, that's becoming a, I don't know that there's ever been a more vivid and layered case of bystander behavior in our history. Uh, that, something that lasted over many years and something that had so many layers of the university involved. Several people. All the way down to the janitors, allegedly. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I now speak on a lot of college campuses, specifically to janitorial staff now, because of that Penn State situation. But um, it is, you're seeing more and more accountability being given to people who could have in that moment done something, and they just 
that was negligent on their part to not do that. So, and there's, there's being, you know, legal awards handed out um, or criminal cases being, you know, or guilty verdicts being given to bystanders. Um, but I should also have a responsibility to also cover on the other side of the coin. There's, um, there's litigation and there's, you know, some, there's some pretty heavy consequences at times. So I don't want to sugarcoat this issue as, you know, just being, you know, I'll go out there and act. There's been also situations where people found themselves in very negative situations from intervening. So again, you got to be safe. You got to be responsible. You got to think it out sometimes if you can. Now, sometimes if things happen in the moment, somebody's life is in danger or somebody's on a subway track, there's not a lot of thinking that goes on. A lot of times in those moments, you're just acting by gut impulse. Yeah. It's more reactionary than anything. So there are those moments. And there's other things that are happening that sometimes they happen over time that you can think about more strategically and you can think through more, maybe even talk to other people and get help with and get advice from people that know. Um, I get asked questions all the time. But again, I don't ever tell people what to do. I just lead them through the process so they can determine what they want to do. And it's their decision. They own it. It's not like, well, Mike Dilbeck told me to do this. Yeah. Because who am I to tell anybody, you know, I'm not there. But, you know, it's because people have real issues that they deal with in life. You know, as I travel the country and speak, I allow my audience members to text me their stories live in real time. Yeah. Right there was on stage, and then I read some of them out loud. And they're heartbreaking, what people walk around with. The things that have happened to people, whether they've been the victims to bystander behavior, they were in a situation where they wanted somebody to intervene and nobody did. Yeah. And I tell the story about me being bullied in junior high, that that happened. But then also, they, they're very honest with me about situations that they didn't intervene. And they're, they hold that with them forever. Yeah, a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of why didn't I. And not only that, it's not even a, it is that, but I think it's even deeper than that. In those moments, we make decisions about ourselves and about life and about others. He's Mike Dilbeck. He's a national uh, spokesperson for bystander behavior, a national uh, speaker, uh, covers this issue coast to coast uh, with the colleges, I'm assuming, and, and young people across America. And you do some corporate work as well. Yeah. What's the oldest audience? You mentioned janitors at colleges. Yeah. What, what's the oldest audience you've spoken to? Oh, well, as far as audience, I don't know. I've had some 80, 90-year-old people. Oh, and that's your, I they look at you like no. you're speaking Chinese. Well, and it's interesting. They they do, because this is the deal. First of all, I should say, and I, if you don't mind me saying that, um, I'm actually the founder and president of the Responsibility Project, okay. which is the platform that I speak from. You Please, know, what are the yeah. uh, digital uh, mm -hmm. avenues we can get it's to that? RA Project. Org. And um, it's just a fully comprehensive website of resources, all based on bystander behavior. And we, we even have six problem issue areas that you could go and get resources on bullying and how to, you know, intervene against bullying, how to, you know, sexual assault, um, discrimination. So different problem issues. So I won't say a lot about it, but if anybody's interested, they go to raproject.org. I encourage people to take the Everyday Hero Pledge. We just launched the National Everyday Hero Campaign a year ago. And it really is engaging people in what does it look like to be a hero, an everyday, average, ordinary person like you and like me, being a hero for others. Because I personally believe, and I will argue, that that's all we want to be in life. Yeah, I totally agree with that's you. That's all we want to be. No, we're not out there with our capes on, you know, shouting it to the mountaintops. I want to be a hero. I've got a cape in my car. Oh, perfect. So do I. We'll wear them <laughs> later. So, um, but people aren't doing that because we have a screwed up relationship to the word hero. But I want people to embrace the word. I want people to live into being a hero. And what does it look like? And I want, once you do, I want you to tell everybody and inspire others to do the same. I think that's when we'll have a different society, is we can embrace the opportunity it is. Not the narcissistic, egotistical opportunity that heroism right. is related to today, but the opportunity it is to protect people, keep them safe, 
and um, have a much better world than what we live in now. And the Hero Campaign is part of the Responsibility Campaign. And what is that website again? RA Project for Responsibility Project. So it's www.raproject.org. And what is your Twitter and Facebook? And let's get all that out there. Let's get it all out there. Uh, Twitter is Response. Ability, which is actually two words but made into one word. So okay. it's not the typical spelling of responsibility. It's the two words, responsibility, made into one. Okay. Okay, and that's the Twitter handle. Uh, we're also that on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, responsibility. So it's, if you put in the link, it's facebook.com backslash response period ability. That's great branding because most people don't know how to spell responsibility anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully they'll get to where they're going with our program. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask you from a, from a pop culture point of view. Sure. Uh, we're speaking with Mike Dilbeck, uh, bystander behavior expert. And we cover a lot of these issues on this broadcast between bullying and hazing and now bystander behavior. And it's changed the way I watch American pop culture, the way I listen to music, the way I watch movies and television. And an example that pops into my head, I was watching with my kids. I bring it up when, when I watch with my, with my kids. I'll bring up a bystander behavior situation when it happens in the movie. And one that pops in my head, I, and I can't watch this movie without thinking of bystander behavior. And from this point forward, I'll think of you every time I see this scene in this awesome. movie. In the movie Grease with John Travolta, yeah. uh, there's a scene where they're in the high school hallway. It's all the T-Birds and John Travolta, and Eugene walks by. And he's kind of the geeky guy that they've picked on through the movie. And John Travolta is the star of the movie, and he's the cool guy. He's the hero. He's, he's the alpha male of the movie. His T-Birds are kind of his underlings, his minions, and they are picking on Eugene in a stairwell. They're dumping his books, they're picking at his face, they're making fun of him, and John Travolta walks up the staircase right by them, looks at them making fun of Eugene, and keeps walking, and doesn't say a word. And I, you know, when I was eight years old when that movie came out, I saw it. When I was eight through 40, I never thought twice about that scene. But now that I'm familiar with bystander behavior, I watch that scene, and every time I think, Danny, come on, Danny, you should have said something. That is a beautiful example of a golden opportunity that he missed. Yeah. Because having the kind of, and not all of us have that kind of power and influence like Danny did, but... In that moment, he had such a beautiful opportunity. Yeah. Now, again, he wasn't picking on Eugene. He didn't do anything to Eugene, but he walked by it and knew it was happening and didn't say a word. He was the observer. He was the bystander. Yeah. And that's what I think is the main point of our conversation today is for people to really get, people who are listening to this program, that we all have those kind of opportunities. We all are in our moments, Danny, Mm -hmm. seeing whatever we see. you got to believe, at least I choose to believe the goodness in people. I actually wrote a blog article that's on the website called I Refuse to Believe. And it really is, I refuse to believe that people are that mean. I refuse to believe that people actually don't care. Yeah. I choose to believe that people do care. We just get stopped and we get fearful and we get scared and we have things that stop us from actually showing that in reality. And, I, you know, we, we can take the case, granted it's a script, it's a Hollywood movie, but if it was in real life, Danny would care. And he did in that moment have that moral compass radar go off and that gut instinct, I want to do something here. And even better, because of his power and influence, he could have totally altered that situation and boom, like just giving him a look. He didn't probably have to say anything, yeah. but giving him that Danny look yeah. could have totally done everything he needed to do to have them shut up, leave the guy alone. We could have went over and put his arms around the geek. Yeah. And walked around, you know, and that would have made a major statement right there. 
you know, I tell us the story I tell in my keynote, or, you know, and it will be in my upcoming book is when I was bullied in junior high by the star football player, the, the one with power. A little bit different than Danny's situation because in this situation, Buster Thompson was the bully. And everybody wanted to emulate everything that B Buster did. And they yeah. joined in the hallway and bullying me and calling me names. And when I kind of came out of the fog of what just happened, thinking, I hope this is a, was a, just a bad dream, I realized I was all in the hallway alone. Everybody had left. Nobody stood up for me. And um, that, is, that had an impact on me like nothing ever has in my life. And it wasn't as much what I was called. It was the fact that I really made the decision in that moment that nobody cares. Yeah. And sometimes that has an even bigger impact than whatever behavior was being shown to you in that moment. It's what wasn't being shown. People didn't have my back. They didn't stand up for me and my dignity. Mm -hmm. And that just, that shakes you up. That's powerful to hear it that way. He's Mike Dilbeck. I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, we're at the AFLV National Convention, and uh, we admire your work you do with young people with bystander behavior. You'll never watch the movie Grease again never. the same way. In fact, uh, from this point forward, every TV show or movie you watch, when somebody is, uh, uh, I guess, deciding not to intervene on a situation when they should be uh, a bystander behaving in a certain way, you'll be like, you know what? That's a good example. There's another good example. So keep the conversations going. Uh, we appreciate all your work with the platforms you work with. Good luck with the book. I hear you just mentioned you're writing the book. When does that come out, and what is that all about? We're working on getting a publishing deal now. It's called The Hero Effect, okay. uh, and the subtitle is For Those Who've Ever Wanted to Intervene But okay. Didn't. All right. Um, maybe you can get John Travolta to write the foreword. Oh, my God. That that's Danny. So cool, wouldn't it? I should have said something in the yes, stairwell. That's cool. Because yeah. you never know. In 10 years, Eugene could end up hiring him at the company that you Eugene owns. Know. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.